Hey everyone, how are you? My name is Blair Sinta. Today I'm going to have a conversation with Gunnar Olsen, really fabulous drummer out in New York City. Currently he's playing with Pucifer. He's recorded with and toured with Mother Feather, Big Data, Mike Snow, Bruce Springsteen, Philip Phillips, uh, who else? Miley Cyrus, Goo Dolls. Pretty great resume. Um, I met Gunnar basically through Instagram admiring his, his, his sounds and his unique style, his kind of heavy-hitting style that he really makes work in the studio. Um, I really feel like he's got a pretty cool individual voice. Um, so we talk about him getting into recording, some of his processes, some of the ways he gets his sounds. Um, I'd never met him before, and he's a really, really fabulous guy. Cool yeah, go, go full nerd. Exactly. Like, yeah, full nerd. Totally. <laughs> Yeah, because, I mean, God, there's so many guys doing this, but not necessarily at, like, the, the level. You know what I mean? Yeah. So. Yeah. Are we, so are we going? Are we, are we in it? Yeah, we can be in it. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah. I just started it and, you know. No, no, all good. Uh, you know, I found you through Instagram, just like, yeah. you know, as we do. And I was like, oh, this dude. Yeah, same. You know. Like, yeah, I think I, I think because of the loop loft stuff, that's how I found out about you. Right. So tell me, you know, uh, like Mother Feather, totally rad, love it. Oh, cool. Big data. The fe- and then when I figured out you played with Mike Snow, which like, you know, I have very vivid memories of that first Mike Snow record. I remember doing a gig. I was in Singapore doing a gig, and I had this incredible hotel room and just playing that record. Oh, yeah, totally. And just being like, okay, I need to figure out. I think that was late 2009. I was like, I got to figure out how to incorporate electronics and acoustic drums like this. I want to be able to get sounds that blend together like that. Yeah. And, you know, so when did you start, like, recording yourself? What what was the interest there? Was it, like, high school (laughs) band stuff? You know, like. Um, I mean, the earliest was I got a four-track when I was in high school and you know, I taught, I, I taught, I never, I don't think I really ever recorded the drums with it. I, I had taught myself to play guitar just so I could play along to my favorite, like green day and mm-hmm. punk rock records. Right. Um, and then my mom got me a four track. I don't even think I asked for it. I think she just kind of saw that it might be fun for me. Oh wow! And I, and I remember just kind of recording—I I don't know, whatever you record at that age. Um, <laughs> and uh, but it, it uh, you know, I really kind of just never—I always just wanted to be a performing drummer. You mm-hmm. know, it was uh, the trajectory of recording wasn't really on the radar for me. Um, and it really wasn't until like maybe two thousand two thousand four or so. Um, a buddy of mine gave me Ableton Live, like a really early version. And even then, I wasn't even thinking about recording myself playing. It was just making, at the time, it was like cutting up, you know, samples from songs I like and turning them into other songs. Oh, wow. And, and um, you know, just trying to like make music within the computer. I wasn't even, I didn't even have any like way to to plug a, a synth into my computer. I was just doing everything in the box right and um and it was it was probably almost like 10 years before i started thinking 
you know, I was in the meantime, I was recording, doing like sessions with mostly my bands and slowly working my way into becoming like a session drummer. But I was always kind of relying on other people to do the recording. Right. Um, I remember doing, um, do you know Chris Shaw? No. He's a producer engineer. He did like the Blue Album by Weezer. Yep. He was an engineer on that. And he, I worked with him, my old band, The Exit. He came in and engineered some of it and mixed some of it. Okay. And I remember, you know, just kind of watching what he was doing. And he's a great engineer. And um, I remember he made this comment. He, he was like, oh, I kind of wish I never bought Pro Tools because that was a day my life as a musician kind of ended and I kind of went more into engineering. And I think what he was kind of saying was once he started kind of being, trying to be a musician, but also engineer himself, it kind of diluted the musician part of him. Mm. And part of him was saying, oh, I kind of wish I stayed a musician. Maybe I could have explored being an artist more instead of turning into, you know, an engineer. But he also, I mean, I think he shines in that, so it was probably a good decision for him. But I remember thinking... But that must have been post-Blue album, though. Oh, this was, yeah, this was like 2003, 2004. Right. So, okay. so at this point, he had done, like, you know, Sky Blue Sky with Wilco, and, like, he, he had some pretty awesome credits. Right, okay, yeah. Um, yeah, uh, but the, the point I'm trying to make is, like, him saying that kind of stuck with me, where I was like, well, mm-hmm. I really love being a drummer. I, I, I don't really, I live in New York city, so I don't even have access to a drum set 24 right. seven. Um, you know, I, I had to go to practice spaces and it just kind of was never even an option to think about, Oh, I'll set up my drums and record them. Such um, a different, right. Because in LA, the funny thing is, you know, I moved here in 96 and that was, in a certain way, it was always on the radar for me, not necessarily having a studio, but having a house with a garage so I could right. drums whenever I wanted. I know. In New yeah. York City, that is just like a, that's just out the window. Yeah, I mean, when I, when I got my first drum set, um, my dad lived in this building at the time, which was an anomaly where there was three drummers who lived in this apartment building in Manhattan. So we somehow got away with me having a kit for like a year. Mm-hmm. and then he moved out of that location and then yeah from that point on it was having a drum set at like a rehearsal spot that somebody he knew who was a musician and then like a friend's basement um and I'm, even till this day i've never <laughs> lived anywhere and had a drum set where i live um which i don't think is that crazy but you know i see people like my friends who live in California or, or smaller states and you know they're in their garage every day with their mics and I'm just like dang it like that would be really I don't know maybe it makes me appreciate it in a different way but um uh the long answer is yeah it, it took a long time before I was even able to you know figure out how to plug in all the mics and get things to work through preamps and right right but you started to, you obviously were paying attention in those sessions. You're like, oh, that's kind of interesting. Well, the thing is, I, I've only ever, re- I, I, I was in all the sessions and everyone was always using Pro Tools, which I never officially learned. Okay. I, I still, to this day, I just use Ableton. 
and which I think oh. I think because I started in Ableton and kind of learned how to use it pretty well in terms of making beats and making music um i i definitely u- utilize the things i learned in it to approach how i record drums into it and how i can edit stuff and i mean yeah so many hours for years sitting behind engineers watching them do pro tools and taking you know two minutes to make an edit which i can make in two seconds in ableton mm-hmm. but you know then there's limitations because i don't have i can't you know group stuff and quantize everything at once like you can in pro tools and i mean there's limitations to both and but, but you're uh, but you're obviously really competent in ableton so i mean i had a similar thing at one point i was using pro tools logic and Ableton, right. and i was like i this is like it's a total mind fuck yeah so i i just bailed on logic i'm like okay i'm yeah. I use ableton for this i'm 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 like not you know 80 percent pro tools yeah but yeah the way i looked at it was like if i'm going to slowly start getting into this i don't really want to i don't want to slow down and the quickest way for me to not slow down was just kind of adapt ableton to what i needed in terms of multi-tracking drums right um which i don't know i I, the, the the fun thing about ableton is everyone i know who uses it and loves it uses it slightly different yeah you know it really is a choose your own adventure so you know, I found a way that works and it's been, it's, it's been working for the remote stuff I do for years now. So, I mean, I, I, I kind of, at some point imagine I'll move on to pro tools, but then, you know, another year passes and I've done 20 recordings in a month and I'm, I, it's, it's kind of like until I need to, and someone's like, Hey, I don't know. I just, I'm trying not to just, I'm trying to kind of move forward and I really enjoy using it. So I think I think at the end of the day, when you send wave files and they yeah. sound good, no one gives a shit. Yeah, right? yeah. Hopefully, <laughs> what I wanted, like that. Yeah, yeah. But so, yeah. So, was, so what was the first thing that you bought uh, to to start to get into it? You're like, okay, I'm going to commit to this. And what was the what was the final what was the thing that said okay? You know, because you so, you're like I'm afraid I'm a little afraid of yeah. like crossing that bridge. So, I mean, the first thing I got that was felt like pro to me was a, just a simple Apogee duet. Yeah. And that, you know, enabled, that was still before I was really recording drums and I was just doing, now I could do a synth or a guitar into my computer and I could do a two mic setup at my practice space for drums, which I still didn't really do that often. Mm-hmm. Um, and then in 2014, I got this massive gig. Um, with a group of guys doing uh, audio library music for YouTube. Oh, okay. So in the course of a year, we made like 500 songs for their audio library. And it was like covering every genre, you know, folk to electric to, I was like making dubstep songs, you know, like <laughs> doing YouTube tutorials. Like, how do I make a dubstep song? You know, um, uh, so it was a really fun year but it was i was literally just making music every day sometimes like making three or four songs a day um so for the majority of the drum recording we were doing that at a studio at trout studios okay uh with bryce goggin who's he does stuff with fish and uh pavement and has a great bunch of great credits 
so he was recording all the live band stuff and then i was continuing to make a lot of the electronic stuff on my uh, at home but there was days where i couldn't get into the studio so i bought easy drummer <laughs> you know and i was just making stuff mm-hmm. in my bedroom because i like it like i said i didn't have my own studio yeah um so we were doing that for a while and I had a good year on paper. So I had like, I was like, oh man, I need more tax write-offs. So I got the, um, the Apollo 8 Universal Audio. Mm-hmm. And that was like the first thing where I was like, oh, well, if I bring this to my practice space, I can actually record a full drum kit. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was kind of the first piece of gear that I bought in terms of that, you know, uh, recording myself. And then shortly into 2015, I moved into this place, which is Russell Street Recording, right. where it's kind of like a co-op studio, and I have like four to six days a month. And when I moved in here, I, was, I moved in here with the company. I was doing all the audio library stuff called Track Tribe. Okay. And so we were continuing to do music for YouTube and Facebook and you know, I was starting to do a little bit of remote recording, but every time I would record, I would still have my buddy or some, like either somebody who works at the studio or a guitarist, they would have to set me up. Cause I, I just, I didn't know how to use any of the gear. Sure. And I would say it wasn't until about 2017 that I could, you know, turn the key, walk into the studio by myself and just do it. So the majority of the recording gear, you know, I have, I have, I have my own mics and, and, and such, but I, use, I really use most of the stuff that's at this studio. Wow. So um, it's kind of afforded me the luxury to not have to go down the route of buying all this gear. Um, and then, you know, if, you know, I, I've, I've accumulated stuff over the years and little things that I like, but um I really just mostly use this studios and there's, you know, there's a few other studios in New York that I have relationships with people and go in there and record stuff. So for the most part, it's mostly, you know, stuff at studios that I'm working at right. in terms of gear. So it's really interesting. So you're, you're definitely limited to, you know, the mic collection, which may be, you know, whatever that is, but like, yeah, it is what it is and you're making it work. Yeah, like I've 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 supplemented a few things over the last year or so, like you know, getting myself an M160 and the the V Kick by SE Electronics and what is that? A, more of a sub or just a kick mic? No, it's 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 the SE Electronics like it's their kick mic. It's called the V Kick. Okay. Um, I saw Aaron Sterling using it, and I was like, well, he's raving about it, and he's he sounds pretty good, so. Um, yeah, in the last in the last six months, I've seen a lot of my friends using it also, which is okay. just interesting to see. I mean, it it sounds great. It's it yeah. kind of does like the D one twelve thing, but better, mm-hmm. um, and it's simple. And like I said, I, I like when you reach out to me, I was like, this will be fun. I I still feel like such a total hack, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, I mean, I the studio here has pretty great mics. You know, we have the you know Coles. Um, We've been using, we had the four, uh, what is it, the 412? Where are those Tom mics? 421s. Yeah, four, we had those, which were fine. Um, I ended up getting a pair of these, like, Audio Technica. I think they're, like, A221s. Mm-hmm. Really simple. They have the, uh, you know, the clips on the 
they have the clips so you can put them on the drums. Yep. And they sound fine. And, um, you know, you, so. Buy, some biodynamics that have a clip too. I have a pair of 421s and I've A-B'd them and I'm like, I'm really happy with them. They, there's no mic stands. Yeah. It, it, Just, and, and yeah, this is not the biggest studio. It's more of a boutique studio. It kind of has a living room apartment vibe and then there's sort of iso booth and for years we were doing the drums out here mm -hmm. and only the last three months really in in the corona age we put the drums in um the iso booth and it honestly changed the game like just sounds wise um yeah so that's so kind of so you, it's super dry and then you're you're expanding that sound as you need it's super dry and then sometimes i'll leave the door open and we'll put a mic just outside the door or you know 10 feet away and it's funny like i think because of the maybe it's just who i've been working with but i i don't even people don't really seem to care if there's a, a room mic too much these days mm -hmm. um i think the people that are reaching out to me to do remote recording are trying to i would like to think utilize the character of my playing and i think people probably aren't reaching out to me if they want that like textbook like i need every drum sound mm. possible when i get these files back mm -hmm. um and you know we live in this world where you don't really need to have a great live room anymore with all the plugins available so um yeah, it's interesting. I mean, we're definitely like recording these days is in your face. We're, yeah. We're used to hearing samples. Yeah, exactly. Um, I mean, I've talked to, you know, one particular, I was talking to Joe Ciccarelli one time and he was talking about, you know, a particular sample library that he uses, even some of over the, some of the sample libraries that he's helped make with uh -huh. well drummers. Yeah. And just how sometimes those, no matter, I mean, we're talking Joe Ciccarelli, right? One of the great engineers slash drum engineers. And, you know, sometimes he, he's adding samples and stuff because it just, it's just what it needs. And it, I mean, it's, it's honestly, if you're, if you're really going to go to that level, that next level of Uber produced sound, um, I don't really know how you do it without samples just because it's, it's the sound that our ears are so used to. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I tend to not, you know, I, I'm lucky enough to the, most of the, most of the clients I work with are, are pretty badass producers. Mm -hmm. So what they're looking for, they're not looking for, I almost feel like they're looking for the energy of a drummer. Mm -hmm and sounds that are clean enough that they can use because at the end of the day if it's if it's gonna try to be on the radio or alt radio it almost it almost doesn't matter if the feel it's it's or i'm not, sorry not the feel it, it almost it's gonna get it's probably gonna get quantized to some degree these days right. um but maybe not but uh my point is again it's like you said in your face clean sounds and um yeah there's going to be samples along the way for right. sure but there's still a vibe from a live drummer there's some bleed yes i think is important um you're always going to have hi-hat bleed into a snare mic and yeah know, a lot of people engineer whatever's they complain about that but they're it 
there's something about the air and that interaction between the drums, toms ringing, cymbals ringing into things. Yeah. I don't know what it is. It's capturing, it's capturing vibes. Yeah. And samples, as rad as they sound, they, even if programming is great, they can't capture that human part of it. Yeah, the ghost notes, the little, I don't know. I mean, you can obviously do ghost notes with, you know, plugins and stuff, but it's just, it never, I don't know, it just never is the same. Yeah, there's a humanity to probably, I mean, it's really hard to put into words, right? It's, yeah, there's something, there's something in it. Even yeah. samples are added. Well, it's funny, like I was mentioning before, I kind of got into to more recording myself and I, I, I had Easy Drummer mm-hmm. on my computer and I spent about six months using it a lot because it was just easier to, you know, I was making this music that I wasn't really attached to, right? It was audio library music. So mm-hmm. the goal was make it sound genre specific and sound mm-hmm. good mm-hmm. and just be done with it. So it was it, you know a part of me was like you're a drummer why are you programming <laughs> easy dr-? but it just was for the sake of time and ease it was just e- uh easy <laughs> yeah. um but what i what i the, the fun challenge about it was over 6 months that i was using it was could i make the goal was can i make this actually can i trick somebody into thinking this is a real drummer, which is more just for my own kind of amusement. Sure. And I'll definitely lis- listen back to, I'll go through the audio library because we have all these songs in there and I'll listen back. And sometimes I honestly don't know if it's, if I played it on a real kit or not, because, you know, I was playing on maybe an SPDS. So I was able to get the actual timing and feel a bit and then kind of go in and nudge it a little bit if it needed it. But right. You were capturing think, part of a piece, like a little piece of you by doing it. Yeah. yeah. But I think by like, by kind of getting myself used to these really uber great sounds, when I started then recording myself for real, my first I was like, oh, this is awful. This sounds terrible. But it kind of set this bar that I've been like trying to, it set this bar of maybe perfection that isn't attainable but it was also i don't know i feel like it primed me in a weird way to kind of hit the ground running with this base level of like what do clean sounds need to sound like right and um those are pretty high standards coming from samples yes but my point being is i i think it i think it actually helped my ear in terms of being able to, to know quicker if like a sound is working mm-hmm. right um and also just you know t- t- there's such a difference between a great sounding sample and then just having all your mics up and having the kit sound great you know like i'll find often where i get the kit to sound good and then i listen back to the rack tom by itself and it's like oh, this would never, this would never be in a sample library. This doesn't sound good, but in the context of everything, right? this sounds good. I think that's the, I think that's one of the big uh, hurdles is when you listen to a, often listen to a snare mic soloed, it kind of sounds like, it's kind of like, oh, I don't know, but you need the whole context. Yeah. And you know, there's definitely an argument for EQing things in when they're soloed. Yeah. 
you know what I mean? Because you're you're fully out of context. So why would you EQ? Like if you're trying to duck something, well, listen to it in the context of the kit. Maybe you need to duck it. Maybe you don't. Yeah. Um, I think it's also you know I've have you run into this where I don't know I've I've had a few clients I've worked with and that just weren't happy with something and you know I I try to do what I can but. Mm-hmm. Um, I think sometimes the the thing that I I'm kind of curious how, what your approach is. When I'm getting my sounds, I like to get them to sound pretty good in the room and get myself feeling good about it. But then when you're sending off the files, you have to you know I'll I'll take all the plugins I'm putting on off and keep it cleaner. Mm. But then. You know, unless somebody wants that, you, I, I tend to send things clean, pretty clean. Okay. Um, and I, I've, I always want the, the, the times that I feel like people have kind of pushed back on a sound, um, I've then gone back and kind of put my processing back on mm. and say, oh, does this change the sound of it? Because I, I always wonder are people getting so used to using these samples that sound so great that maybe they don't really know how to take what you've sent them and make it sound, you know, like they don't really know, you know, I know personally like, Oh, I rely on my overhead a lot for this particular sound. Right. But someone might, someone might just say, Oh, you didn't send me a hi-hat mic for this track. Right. Well, there's a ton of hi-hat in the snare mic and the overhead. Right. But, you know, that, that's kind of something I, I, I always wonder about how other drummers, like what, when you're sending stuff, do you send dry, wet options? you keep it pretty dry? Um, I do. Well, I do both. Um, well, it's kind of a two-part question, right? So I do think, yes, I always send a, a stereo two track of, you know, when you're sending like, okay, hey, I'm finished. Do you dig this? Yeah, sending it off with the song. You know, here's how the drums sound. I have, I've EQ'd, I've compressed what I need to. Yeah. Um, and I usually stay fairly light on compression unless it's, yeah. you know, um. But if I do go heavy on something in an effect, it's usually bust somewhere where I can print it separately. Right. And they can literally mute that shit, and then it's dry. Yeah. Um, and I try to let them know that I'm like, Hey, that reverb I put on the snare, if you don't dig yeah. it, it can be gone in one click. Yep. You know, but to me, it felt like this is helping, you know, the, the sound. Yeah. Of it. Um, so I try to give options in there. Like yeah. I've tried to have all the options, but at this point, I'm definitely not afraid to EQ and go hard. Well, you know, sometimes I, I, I'm repeating myself, but it, it also, know, if I know who's going to mix it. Exactly. If I know it's like a heavy cat, then I will back off. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I'm like, okay, so-and-so is touching this. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let them do their thing and not commit them to what no. I think is good in my room. No, that's a good, that's kind of where I'm going with this. It's, it's, until very recently most of the remote stuff i was doing was for people i knew Mm -hmm. and you know in the last four months obviously with the world kind of turning itself on end i've gotten a lot more work with people i've never met before and 
the the challenge of that which is it's exciting and i'm working more but the challenge is kind of how do i gauge what i think people want and then obviously you know you ask them but mm -hmm. i think sometimes without that kind of relationship built in it's kind of hard to it could be a challenge like am i sending am i sending it too clean should i dig in more to what i think the song needs mm -hmm. and um i don't know it's more of just i'm kind of just thinking out loud like because i haven't really talked about this stuff with yeah <laughs> in such I mean, a I kind of, specific I kind of, way i kind of expect most people um are not going to be able to kind of recreate what i'm hearing over here yeah. yep um so I, I go pretty heavy in I, I i try to make that two track that i was talking about like yeah maybe this will work in your mix you know often we're not we're early enough where it's hard to say like where the track is going to go with layers yeah. and stuff but uh, you know hopefully this is a pretty good mix and it might work when you actually mix but then you know, I'll send maybe a screenshot of levels. Um, this is yep. an interesting subject that I'm coming on with this. Like, do you set your mic pre's and everything so your faders can come to Unity and people could literally put everything at zero and that's the sound that they hear? Right. Or, you know, I don't typically do that, but in my head I'm kind of processing, like, maybe I need to start doing that. So yeah. people can literally say, oh, how do I get this drum sound? How do we recreate this? You just put everything at zero, you know? Yeah, that's kind of where I've been, that's, I've been leaning kind of towards that mostly where I, I want to have a pretty basic sound that, yeah, when people import the files, you're kind of there. Mm -hmm. it, it, it's, or at least it's obvious, you know, maybe not with the panning. I, tr I, mm -hmm. I, I you know, I, it, it, like I said, it depends who I'm working with. If I leave in my, my choice of panning, mm -hmm. but you know, I, 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 I tend to just like say overhead left and right, you know, yeah. have those be separate and then be up the middle and do whatever you want with them. But yep. yeah, I, I've been leaning towards, I want you to get an idea really quick. And you know, what I try to do now is, Hey, are you around? I'm going to be recording your song today. Are you around? And then I'll send them a rough mix. Like, Hey, am I going in the right direction? Mm -hmm. Um, I think I used to not do that with some weird fear that they would say no. <laughs> and then I'll, Oh, like I'll just send them all the stuff when I'm done and hopefully it works out. And yeah, yeah. cause I think I was afraid of criticism, but then realizing like that makes no sense. Like your job will be so much easier if they say, Oh, actually, can you try a different snare sound or more ring, less ring? Right. Um, have you used that listen to app? I dude, I, I did it yesterday. And, Do you have it or did someone else have it? Um, somebody else had it. Well, I downloaded yeah. the, the trial yeah. and um, I'm not sure we exactly figured it out, but. <laughs> but could, I they would, hear, could they hear you in real time? Yeah. Um, or there's like wait, a half a millisecond, yeah. half, a, half a second delay. That's what I mean, though. Yeah. It, was the, it was the talk back part that we're trying to figure out the communication part. Um, but. Oh, yeah. You know, on the other end, they were like, yep, I, I hear it. You know, so I'm diving into that, and I think yep. it's gonna be awesome. Yeah, yeah. I I, I bring it up because um, a buddy of mine, Derek Furman, who I did a bunch of, he's a producer. I did a bunch of work with him in New York. He moved out to LA, and we did a session back in 
I want to say March or April, and he had it. So okay. he was able to hear me. And so we got we got sounds really quick. Yep. And then I just had my phone next to me and he would just text me after a take. And then a couple of times we called on the phone. So right. we didn't we, we didn't do any kind of talk back like you're talking about, but yeah, he would just text me like sounds great, or like, oh, maybe less fills, more fill. Like it was right. It was so awesome. <laughs> well, um, I mean, I always I almost always try to make sure that I let someone know, hey, the day I'm tracking, I'm I'm gonna start, you know, ten thirty in the morning, whatever. Yeah. Uh you're gonna be around. Um, you know, I'll send you a track in like an hour, whatever. Um, because the worst thing to me is twenty four hours later, somebody going like, Hey. I don't really love the kick drum sound. And I'm like, dude, I got other things I got to move on to. Um, yeah. Or, or especially a part thing. Um, so I always try to make sure that's happening. It's a little, you know, I feel like most people I work with, that's, that's just the, they're, that's kind of their norm too. Yeah. Like, I need doing this. I want to know, but then, you know, I'm finding also, I think with what you're saying is like, there's, um, people with less experience doing this more right now. Yes. And, you know, I've had a situation where, like, I send something back to somebody and I don't hear from them for a week. And they're like, hey, no, I really wanted it kind of more like, and I'm like, man, like, yeah, it's pretty hard for me to get back to that now. And I was hoping for feedback, like, within the yeah it's it's yeah i mean because and also like to speak to that because i'm not in my own studio all the time i usually try to book two days in a row so mm. if there is a total <laughs> melt, meltdown i can maybe right. come back to it the next day and have stuff relatively set up but right yeah it's tough um because we're all just trying to do <laughs> i obviously want to you know I did a session for my buddy yesterday at Senate and he was like, great. Yeah. No, no, no notes. And like, that's, that's always the goal. Yeah. And, um, it's a new world, right? It's, it's, I feel like I got pretty comfortable being a session musician yep. in the last five years, just in terms of going to studios and working for people and knowing how to read the room. Yep. And I, I honestly never, I don't think I wouldn't say I never thought I could, but I wasn't imagining myself now putting on like an engineer hat of now I am the engineer. And um Right. That's that's kind of the brings me back to like that thing that Chris Shaw told me. It's just it's how how deep am I gonna go into this? And do I wanna go how far do I wanna go and how how far do I need to go that I can feel confident sending files to any level of right artist? Right. Um, I think we had, you know, you know, especially in the nineties, you had no idea that this number one really could be a thing or would be a thing that, you know, almost any musician at this point, but especially drummers, also need to be competent engineers yeah and you know i still look at real engineers and i'm like wow man like i don't know anything you yep. know i mean i yeah. think i'm pretty good at what i do but when i really look at a lot of guys i'm like I, I'm, I'm like i'm like at the two percentile of knowing what i'm doing you know what i mean yep. um 
but it it became a necessity you know like i saw it out here when i was recording in real studios a lot around 2005 2006 2007 and then starting to see like this is okay this is really changing now yeah in my head i was like man i want to have a studio i want to have a career as a studio drummer i love playing live i do love touring but i really love being in a studio yeah i need to create this for myself and for it's weird for a long time i felt like an imposter you know like i'm you know i'm not really a session drummer blah 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 and then the tide has changed especially dramatically in the last four months but the tide slowly began to change where like no this is how this is you this is almost a necessity Mm -hmm. oh totally yeah yeah i i'm still I got over the imposter <laughs> uh, session music, musician thing a while ago, but I'm kind of, you know, I see guys like you and a handful of other guys on Instagram and I'm like, Oh, I, I don't, I, I feel like that in terms of the engineering side, but I think, I think the str- I think it's kind of the way you build confidence is just doing it over and over. You know, I learn I learn something new with every session I do in terms of how I'm sending files or just it's it's just so it's like practice. It's it's uh, it's like anything. It's just doing it over and over and remembering. Oh, I I I patched the snare drum differently this time, and I really noticed a difference. And I might not have heard that difference six months ago, but now I can. And you know, like, oh, I, I flipped the phase on the kick and I think I had it <laughs> wrong the last two sessions. Maybe that's, <laughs> you know, maybe that's why I was chasing my tail. So, you know, like, like stuff like that is still. Yeah, there's no, there's know. no fast track to this. Yeah. And when I, what, uh, yeah. you know, when I'm giving kind of like lessons to people, I'm like, man, it just takes a long time. You know, we're dealing with so many elements. Your drums have to sound the way you want them to sound for the track. Yeah, that's the first often that's the first obstacle is like if you're not there yet understanding tonality with it just within your acoustic environment then forget it yeah yeah that's a whole other (laughs) rabbit hole it's just like sounds and you know i i have a good amount of gear here i have a practice space a couple blocks away where i have a bunch of other gear so i'm able to kind of swap out stuff pretty easily Mm -hmm. But, you know, there's those handful of drums that work on almost every song. And I tend to start with those just because they have a track record. And then from there, it's, okay, when can I use this 12-inch snare? That's really fun. Like, oh, this might be a good opportunity. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. I think there's something else that I see that's really intriguing for me about your playing is that you're a heavy hitter in the studio. And, you know, my progression over a long time has been hitting lighter and lighter. And yeah. you're a real, like, bottom-up player, and you really make it work. Oh, and thanks. It's part of your sound and your style. And it's, it's super cool to see, you know, for me. It's like I feel – I almost, like – it's like I feel the weight of your playing, even through, like, fucking Instagram. You know, <laughs> I'm like, yeah. that dude's, like, laying into it. Um, but there's – you've, you've developed an internal balance – the right way i mean that's take thank you and i it's still something you know that's 
that's still an ongoing thing. You know, it's like I look I look back to footage of me in the studio a couple of years ago, and I'm just you know I'm hitting the way I would live, mm-hmm. and that doesn't really work, especially with symbols. You know, symbols have been really just that learning of when you hit a sim that that um it's like a muscle memory that i've had to learn like when i'm going to hit the symbol i have to hold up a bit you know mm-hmm. but have it not affect the way i'm playing and have it sound obvious because that also sounds bad too if you're kind of digging in to the snare and hi-hat i feel like you can dig into snare and hi-hat a little bit more than you can symbols in a recording environment mm-hmm and there's definitely recordings where I can hear myself hit the cymbal light. And that also sounds bad. Yeah, you can't sound tentative. You know? You got to hit it. And like so mean. Yeah. it's, and a lot of it's, and then it's also like, okay, where am I putting the mics? And, and what, what setup is going to sound right for me to be able to hit the drums with some force, but not kill you with cymbals? Um, and also, I mean, I, you'll pro- you're probably finding this too. Like, so many of the producers I'm working for, they, I'm doing all the symbols after the fact. Mm. You know, I'm I'm doing hi hat and snare and toms and kick. Mm-hmm. Um, and honestly, for a lot of the stuff I'm doing now, which is there's so much of this uh, electronic hybrid stuff, I'm doing. I'll I'll very often give people um, an option without kick. So it's just snare, hi-hat, and toms. If, if I think there's a good chance you're going to, you know, if, if I'm playing along the programming that's super busy, like, you can get away with outdoing the kick and either use samples or go in after the fact. It's, it, it sometimes really saves everybody's mind in terms of editing, you know, because yeah. it's one thing if a snare flams a little bit with programming like a, a clap that's cool usually mm. um but you know if, if you're really playing with like if someone sends you a track and the programming is there to stay mm-hmm. um and there's a lot of kick stuff in there yes I, I i mean i try to i i you know the other option is maybe playing a kick pattern that's half as busy as the programmed kick Mm-hmm. You know, so maybe you're playing on the one and three if there's a syncopated bass drum part, you know, like stuff like that. So you're using that often for a sonic um, element or? It's a little of both. It's, of it's, it's kind of like, okay, if you know you want this very programmed beat in your song, but you also want to have me play on top of it, um, I feel like you're going to get plenty of energy if I don't play, if I play everything but the kick, that's going to kind of tick the box of having a live feel on it, mm-hmm. you know, but especially if it's like a four on the floor thing, mm-hmm. I mean, this is going to be flam city, right? Well, it's either that or it's like, I mean, we're talking about an imaginary song right now, but um, you know, if there's already like a pretty cool program kick that, is going to stay in the song right it's going to be hard to even replicate that with a real kick drum so it's almost like why bother um, fight it yeah um and i'm not saying that's the approach to that's the end all be all approach but i found that works a lot and it also kind of the second you're not you're playing a drum kit without the kick drum it it totally opens up your mind 
Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's, it's one less thing to have to think about. It's one less thing to have to coordinate. Mm-hmm. Um, it's pretty, it, it can be kind of freeing and just kind of change your mental perception of like, what should I play on this? You know, it, maybe I should just play the rim of this Tom and a snare. Maybe I just play a hi-hat, you know, um, I, I I personally make a lot of electronic music myself that I, I that I put out through these audio libraries. So I I'm always kind of finding what's a really fun way to combine electronic and you know acoustic drums. Right. So you start to play as if you you are programmed. But you well, it's that, but it's 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 I it's kind of approaching the drum set like a percussion instrument, like right. treating the electronic kit as the drummer, and then you're going to kind of fit in along with it. Right. And, and like, what, what are the easiest things to stay out of the way with is like, maybe don't play the kick, uh, maybe not play any cymbals, you know, um, or you could do like, you know, maybe you're doing, maybe you're doing snare and hi-hat for one track and then just toms and cymbals on another track and you're just. Right. Um, right. I don't know. So, okay. I got, well, I got like three questions I want to try to remember <laughs> to get back to you. Um, one, do you often, do you sometimes actually, so you're saying if this is usually when somebody sends you a demo that has the programming and then you take this approach, do you sometimes program your own kick and then take this approach? Um, you like sending it to somebody? Uh, no, just for, for like tracking purposes. You're like, okay, this, I think this should have a programmed kick sound or this is a really right. the right sound for this and then work around that do you do that ever on your own or is it usually because somebody sends you something they're like yes this programming is part of the track and that changes your approach to- right yeah if it's usually in terms of drum programming it's usually for projects of my own so okay. i think to answer your question is i probably wouldn't program a kick unless somebody obviously unless somebody asked for it kind of guided toward that yeah, yeah it's more on the, the the examples i'm thinking of is you know like if i'm going to play on kind of a more rock tune but they know they want to have this particular drum loop in a bunch of the song right. and so you know i'll give them options with kick but say oh you know i'm also going to give you an option without the kick which might make everyone's life easier when it comes time to edit it because that's the other question is if if someone is sending me a very if some if someone is sending me something that they know they're going to try to get on the radio or like that kind of scope and there's definitely program there might be there might even be like programmed real drums and they just want some of that energy mm-hmm. um you know i'm going to assume that they will take whatever i give them and edit it to that timing. Right. Um, but some people, I think they, they're not looking for that. I think they think like your job is to get the timing right. Cause you're the person I'm hiring. Mm-hmm. So there have been a few cases where someone sends me a very programmed thing, wants live drums over it, but it's very clear to me, it's going to need a lot of editing. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'll reach out and say, Hey, like how, what what are we doing here do you want me i i can edit it a bit you know which i don't mind doing sometimes you know it's obviously time consuming and but um there's been a few times where i just go ahead and do it 
and say, hey, I've sent you a version with it edited and not because my fear is if this is a person I haven't worked with and they they throw in the files, their first thought is going to be like, this sounds like shit. Right. You know? Um, So, yeah, it's... Depends on the approach. I mean, okay, so this kind of leads into my other question is, you know, sometimes when there's a programmed kick drum that you think might be there, are you trying to match that tone or are you going to go for something kind of opposite so they work together, you know? I mean, of course, that's going to vary on song to song. Yeah. Um, Yeah, that's a... You know, if someone sends me their garage drum program you know like I, I i find that someone's like they send me a track and they're like oh and i made like a little garage band demo drum track but obviously do your thing you know it's always like oh do your thing <laughs> but i also know that they've been listening to that for probably two months and they have this imaginary perception that once i hire the pro studio drummer they're going to do this thing i never thought of that's going to make it better right but what tends to happen is the second you stray from the thing they've been listening to for two months, there's a part of them that kind of freaks out. Right. So I definitely always try to do a very verbatim, even if they say they're going to not use, use the part, I always try to do a, like my version of their thing. Cool. Yeah. And, you know, that's, and that's usually trying to get sounds that I think are appropriate for the song and being a human and um i mean i love to mess around with my kit and make it sound not like a human Mm -hmm. but i find i'm not doing a lot of that unless people really are saying just go all in and then it's fun then it's like okay cool i'm gonna run my kit through some guitar pedals and Mm -hmm. then that's like the that's where that's where I have the most fun is doing like creating, you know, I, I, I look at guys like you and, and, um, or like Aaron Sterling and like getting these real, like, I mean, engineer, like, I, I think you're a great engineer. I think your stuff sounds super pro. Um, and I, I still kind of get intimidated by that. And, and I'm personally more comfortable getting a sound that has a lot of character and vibe that, never existed before because then i'm not hung up on like oh is this the right kick drum sound if it's if i make something that just sounds awesome it doesn't matter if the sound is right because it's never existed before right Um, i mean i definitely think you have that no doubt you know what i mean i mean you definitely have i mean i also often when i'm hearing your stuff it's there's a crunchy element to it there's an electronic element to it and then and then of course just your playing style is inherent in that thing yeah you know well that's my comfort zone i really yeah. i i really i'm kind of obsessed with distortion um and i think a lot of it is because <laughs> i think because we're on our phones so much it's i want to i want to watch back if i'm going to record something film it and do audio and all when i watch it back on my phone i want it to sound good coming out of my phone mm-hmm. you know obviously it needs to sound good on speakers and headphones, but, um, there's a mix element that's very important. Yeah. It's like, I, I don't want it to sound great everywhere. And then you put on your phone, it sounds like shit, you know, it's, um, cause the reality is people are listening to music out of their laptops, their phones. Mm-hmm. Um, I want it to sound good everywhere. 
Um, so what's your favorite way? What are your favorite ways to get distortion? Um, I mean, I love the sound toys stuff. Um, Devil Octolux, Decapitator. Yep. Um, I really, I, so I, about a year, maybe two years ago, I got the Yamaha EAD 10 mic. Okay. Have you messed around with that at all? I haven't. I'm going to start writing this stuff down. So, you know, I'm not ignoring, I'm not texting. I'm writing some of yeah, this. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, Yamaha came out with this mic that you clip on to your, you clip onto the hoop of your kick drum. Okay. So it basically, it's basically in the, in the area you'd put like that kind of crotch mic. Yep. You know, it's like, it, it's literally like right above your, um, it's on your hoop right above the beater. Okay. And it's, it's a stereo mic and it gets, it's, it's basically a tool that you can use to quickly record yourself. It's great for practicing because it has an in. So you can put your iPhone into it and play along with records and, and dial yourself in. Okay. Um, it has a bunch of scenes, which are kind of fun and cheesy. It's almost like it, it, it almost turns your kit into a V drum. Like, you know how V drums, you can put like arena rock yeah. or all these templates. Okay. Um, but the first thing I realized when I got it, it has, you know, two quarter inches out. And I was like, oh, I could, I could run this into all my guitar pedals and my loop pedals. Mm -hmm. And it gets a really quick, immediate sound. And so I've had this chaos pad that I've been using for years. And the distortion on the chaos pad is currently my favorite distortion. Oh, wow. uh, it, just, it just has this... I don't know. It, it, it just kind of does it for me. It, 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 what I really like about distortion is it, 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 it adds these overtones to your drums mm -hmm. that start sounding more like pitches and tones mm -hmm. and a melody, mm -hmm. you know? So it's like, if I, I, you know, the chaos pad is really fun to make loops with because it has a BPM setting. Mm -hmm. So you can really quickly make, it has four four channels uh like four tracks and you can really quickly make loops that are super steady in a bpm mm -hmm. like a set rate uh, which is just really helpful because i'm doing a lot of production stuff and you know like before i was always use, i was using the line six dl4 mm -hmm. um for a looping which is really fun but yep. you know then you're going in and chopping it up and yep yep but yeah so i would say top top distortion right now is that um and i also have these pedals by big ear um, they make one called the chaka which i don't think they make anymore but it has a, a distortion and it also has um an octave up pedal oh wow octave up button okay. which gets really crazy oh and uh different than a whammy a whammy sound whammy pedal sound it's different because you can only use it once the drive is engaged. Mm. So it's always distortion and then octave up distortion. Oh, wow. Okay. Cool. So the, I, I, the whammy is just literally an octave. And, um, and then the last answer to your question is the platform okay. by um, uh, Electro Harmonics. Wow. It's a really awesome pedal because it has, it, it, it's a, um, compression pedal, but it also has a drive button. 
Okay. So you can do comp all the fun compression stuff, and then you can add distortion to that. You can add drive to it, but what's great is it has a drive level, so you can kind of fade in the level of distortion. It also has a tone knob, so then you can roll off kind of the top end, so you can get it really compressed, you know, amp put up the drive a lot, <clears throat> but then roll off kind of the high like it kind of rolls the highs off so mm -hmm. you get this really like mid really dark kind of drive sound um and that thing is awesome so, so are you um are you doing this uh after tracking usually or during tracking so you can hear it and then how are you dealing with sending this to clients most An of the Yes, uh, most of the most of the pedal stuff I'm doing in the moment through the EAD 10 pedal. Okay. Um, and that's usually it's like an options thing. Okay. That I'm if I'm sending to people. Um, so they could it could be gone and have a totally clean tone. Yes. Yeah. Um, it's more like if I'm, it's, and honestly, I'm using it more for the stuff I make for myself. Sure. For Instagram I mean, I, videos I, or music I, I'm making. Right. I, um, I find too, most of the super, super fun, crazy stuff is not yeah. for real music. <laughs> right. But there's been times where I bring my pedal board and the EAD 10 to sessions. And, you know, there's always that part of the session where like, yeah, man, I don't know. Let's just try something crazy. And I'm like, oh, well, why don't we run my drums through a pedal board? And what I love about that EAD 10 pedal is for years, it's, it, it, I just didn't really know how to run stuff through pedals without getting feedback or having to go through, you know, a pre, like go having to go through like my Apollo, but then come back out and then go yep. back in and then there's latency. Mm -hmm. Um, the sound of the EAD is so immediate and just kind of, it, it's a stereo mic. So it's getting the whole kit. It's getting a lot of the kick attack and a lot of the bottom snare from mm. where it's located. Mm. Uh, so the second you compress that, it already has this great vibe. Yep. So once you start adding effects to that, it's just, it's just real. It, it's almost like a contact mic. It's just a real immediate sound. And um, so, okay. Right. So the AD ten mic is stereo, you said. Yes. It has a it has a mono option. Okay, too. because most pedals are not stereo. Right. But you yes. so I would say nine times out of ten you're running that mono. Yeah. Uh what's great about the chaos pad is it is stereo. Right. Uh and then um this one, the mini. Cool. Yeah. And then the electro harmonics one I have is a stereo. So I do have a few pedals where I can keep it totally, keep the stereo intact. I also have that um, electro harmonics, the Hazarai memory man. Mm. Uh, and that's stereo. So how is that different than the regular memory man? It's just kind of like a newer one. It looks, it, it doesn't look as cool. <laughs> it's, okay. Uh, oh, is it um, a smaller one? Yeah, it's blue. Yes. Okay. And it has like a loop. It has a weird way you can loop stuff. Okay. But um, but you get the same vibes. You get the memory. Man. Yeah. What I really like about it, it is it. There's a few different settings on it. Um, it's more like 
it's these longer delays. It's like one to three second delays. So it's, it's kind of cooler versions of like, I don't really, I don't know. Reverb is such a touchy thing. Cause it's like, if reverb doesn't sound really, I don't know. I don't know how to say it. It just, whenever I'm looking for space, I try to find, I try to use it through, I, try, I like to use delays to create space rather than reverbs. Mm -hmm. Cause I feel like unless you're using a legit like reverb chamber or like the best reverbs, they just kind of sound, I don't know. It's, it's, it's just a more inspiring sound to me if I can get a cool yeah. atmosphere using a, like a longer delay. Right. And it's just, it, it kind of brings me back to, I'm just looking for character and, um, something that kind of sounds like it's its own thing so you're not trying to match like oh what's the correct reverb sound or yeah yeah i don't know yeah what what are your uh what are your thoughts on reverb <laughs> well I, I i think i think it can be date dating it can yeah. date your track immediately um i have noticed though surprisingly that even a touch of reverb like on a snare send when it's it's almost not audible but it's in there it's like, oh, I think there's a lot more reverb happening in tracks than I ever knew. Yep. Um, because it, it does do a thing where it opens it up, even though it's almost non-detectable. Yeah. Um, I also am afraid of it, though, yep. for that reason. Especially, you know, like I was saying earlier, it's like sometimes I send to, something to a client and I really clarify, like, hey, that reverb you hear, that can be gone. So yep. don't, it's, you're not stuck with that. Yeah. Uh, because I think that could be a turnoff immediately. Um, but I, I also find that, like, especially with the sound toy stuff, um, you can really great, get great ambience through the delays because there's no actual reverb in there. Yeah. Those, are, I'm with you. Those are my favorite sounds. And also a memory man, um, man, ping pong delay or memory man, um, just those kind of things, they add a dimension yeah that it's super vibey yeah and i'm with you it's like unless you have a great incredible plate reverb plug-in or a real one or whatever yeah because those always seem to fit like a great classic plate reverb can fit into a lot of things yep yeah i'm i'm more likely to what i uh, a thing I like to do on almost everything I, I do for myself and I'll, and I'll usually send it as like a, like you were saying, like a two mix to a client is um, the Echo Boy Junior sound toys, the Echoplex setting in there. I'll put on like the, I usually have a mono overhead as well. Mm -hmm. And I'll just do a little bit of slap back, just like slightly buried mm -hmm. on the, on the mono overhead. And it just, if I'm if I'm kind of like if I'm just not feeling something of my own playing, if I add just a little bit of slapback, it 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 just I just love it. I don't know. It's just it, there's something about adding just a little bit more of a tail yep. to to the drum. But it's almost it, indetectable, right? Right. It's 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 something that like people would think, oh, let me put reverb on that snare. It's it's that same. It's that idea of wanting the sound to last longer, mm -hmm. but. I don't know. It just, it, it just, it, and also it adds a slight bit of rhythm to it. You know, like I, I tend to do it more of a slap, like a 16th slap back or, you know, I, I just like, I'm, I'm always looking for ways to create texture 
and and movement yep. you know um are you going to duplicate your mono track then to do that or you just put it on it's and- more like i'm putting it on to make to to get the vibe right yeah and and then i'll most likely turn it off if i'm sending it to somebody but maybe let them know that's what i did right um right because most people i like i said i'm i'm i just for who i've been working with i tend to send stuff pretty dry just because i know they're gonna they have their asses covered you know yeah they know what they know what they want um but you know i'm making a lot of music for myself and for companies so it's like that's kind of my go-to when i'm mixing you know yeah. it's like it's like the times to like decide am i the when am i the engineer when am i the mixer when am i just the drummer um which is yeah always changing all the time yeah so uh so okay let's talk about your moving your drums into um the vocal booth yes um you know when i learned that chad blake records you know his drums in a vocal booth i was like oh okay you know big room like nobody needs a big room if chad blake can do what he does what's yep. um do you find that so you said you're doing a lot of steps a lot of stuff separate symbols separately do you still find in the vocal booth because it's so dry that you that's still a necessity or that really helps you to be able to do things together um the simple separately thing is really just if somebody asks for it or maybe i'll offer it um I'll, i'll say getting the m160 Mike really just made my life easier in terms of getting the symbols to not hurt my ears. Mm-hmm. So that's uh, mono, your mono overhead? Yep. Okay. I use that mono. And then the way we have it right now in my vocal booth, we have the coals kind of to as the side, just, <laughs> just slightly in back of me. Okay. Oh, okay. Um, so it's kind of more like they're, they're picking up, you know, cause the room isn't that big. So they're picking up the sides of the kit. And so it, it's, I think it's, I think the guy, uh, the engineer here who set, who set up the drums, um, in the room, I just kind of went along with it, but he, he was saying he got the idea from Steve Albini. I guess he puts his stuff pretty wide, slightly in back mm-hmm. coals mm-hmm. and, uh, yeah, I mean, I I thought it was unorthodox, but I also don't. I'm I just kind of go along with what sounds good, and it 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 gives a nice stereo picture of the kit. Mm-hmm. Have the M160 right above, mm-hmm. and um, yeah, I and 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 it's it's really just it's it's a lot of it is really self mixing. It's yeah. it's not hitting, you know, maybe putting a little bit of. T- I never put tape on my symbols, but. You know, putting a little bit of tape on your ride symbols sometimes can can really help. Yeah. You know, it's it's getting more stick definition, uh, not a ton of just like that overall like never ending like buildup of a rumble of the symbol. Mm-hmm. Um, just yeah, quicker yeah. decay to get out of the room, get out of the way of yeah the toms or whatever. Yeah. I mean, I'm usually only using one crash at a time. 99% of the time just in terms of like how much space we have in the vocal booth and 
I, I, I find I, it's, it's just, I don't know. It's that people don't really like a lot of symbols in music anymore. It seems so. Or drum. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Well, I don't, I feel like the drum fill is coming back. I've been getting a lot of, Oh, give me like fill. Give me like 10 fill options throughout the song. Right. Okay. But it could just be the fill. So like their mindset is, they're gonna, there's gonna be the beat, and then they'll just go through a library of fills and throw those in, or right. maybe even put them over the beat, like I don't know, like Jeff Lynn or something. Who knows? Right, right. Which is a cool vibe. I remember the first time I heard like that, you know, like the Traveling Wilbury stuff, and growing up with that stuff, and not analyzing it, and then you know, once I started to understand a little bit more about music and listening back, and be like, oh, all, all the fills are happening. <laughs> And the beat is never stopping. Yeah. You know, yeah. I yeah. just remember just being like, wait, you're allowed to do that? That's, that doesn't make any sense. Those are pretty genius recordings. Obviously, the songs are incredible. Yeah. But the sonics of those, even, um, you know, at that age, which was like, you know, my mid to late teenage years when those came out, was like, well, these sound different. Well, apparently the story is like, have you heard? some of the stories about how they did that were like they'd have all the guys sit around one mic everyone playing acoustic guitars and record like the five acoustic guitars like around one mic that would kind of be like the the foundation of the track huh. and then it kind of build on top of it was just like it, it kept building on top of layers wow um that's uh, amazing just, to put those guys right because that would make sense those guys are so you know to capture their vibe in that way and especially them playing together like that's pretty great so there was so there was the program beat already and they would just had headphones on and they were strumming along to it yeah i think they were saying like jim kellner would play on like they were they had a mic because they were like in a house i think i think they set up a recording studio in one of their houses okay and they were setting up mics like in the kitchen and he was playing on pots and pans as kind of like a guide rhythm Hmm. and then they'd all be recording those acoustics and then i think then they went to a studio and started layering on the drum set and like the i don't know i i watched this documentary about it maybe 15 years ago so it's kind of foggy but i remember just hearing those stories and being like oh like you're allowed to do that you know right um that's a producer who knows how to capture well personalities and vibes right yeah totally different approach it's not like all right we're gonna you know we're gonna take bob dylan and try to fit him into this box like right but it's i mean it's also a good example of i feel like all my bands would always record demos at like our friend's basement or something and then you go to the studio and you're trying to chase this energy of the demo Mm -hmm. and we live in an age now where you can save you can you can save all your elements to a demo and those elements could then make it into the final song and you can pick and choose what do you want to record but you don't have to re-record everything just because it's a you know a demo right um it it, you're you're kind of sparking my memory on when um yankee hotel foxtrot came out the woke mm -hmm. record yep and how that record morphs through all kinds of different sonic layers and vibes and things like that and my recollection is I remember I think they would actually record the ta- the song, but just all different ways. They would like right. But then 
I think they put them together sometimes. Like, right. we're going to use this recording of the song, but that's yeah. now going to be the second verse or whatever. Yeah, and that's kind of goes to like the point of when someone sends me their scratch drum idea. You know, like yesterday, uh, the session I did yesterday, the singer, I, he must have done it on his iPhone. He He recorded a track of him playing on like a table or something just to give me an idea of the rhythm mm -hmm. and i was working on the track for a couple hours and you know now i'm adding real drums playing that rhythm but i was kind of missing that texture so i i found these little like um this company upcycled percussion mm -hmm. yep. uh i have this little like rattler they made it's a bunch of um poker chips and I just kind of put that up to the overhead and I did a similar kind of rhythm to his guide rhythm. Yep. Because the more I listened to the song, I was missing that rhythm that he did. And I was like, well, there's a good chance he's going to miss it too, but not realize it. Right. And, uh, you know, there's, it, there's, some, there's always something to be said about your first idea. I always try to make sure I'm recording and ready to go the first time I play through something because something's going to come out. Right. Um, I mean, there's, I think there's some of those elements in your, in your solo record too, where I don't remember the tune, but there's some, like a hand clap part in there. Uh huh. Um, and, and those ideas that sound, and this is exactly what we're talking about, like blending the acoustic and electronic thing. There's modular stuff happening, but then there's yeah. a very obvious kind of like almost lo fi hand clap thing that's a totally different dimension. Yeah. I yeah. think that was an, ex I think uh, that was the kind of thing where I probably made, that hand clap like a very digitalized kind of corny sounding one ableton and my thought was like oh there's already so many layers of perfect sounding samples and electronic stuff i'm really into the idea of just like ju like let's replace those with something that maybe would sound puny and lame on its own but then um i think i was listening to a lot of james blake when that uh when I was working on that, when I was making that song, I think you're talking about a song of mine called When Will Today Be Tomorrow? Yeah. That's um, it. Yep. But, uh, cause that was, you know, that was a song I probably started in like 2014, okay. but uh, the early James Blake records before he started singing were all instrumental. Mm -hmm. And he, he, I, he had some really amazing tracks where it was just a, a really simple beat as simple as a piano and just kind of one hand clap that, sounds like he probably recorded it on you know a field recording mic or something it just sounds like the clap is like in like someone's clapping next to your to your ear mm. and i remember that standing out to me just like oh like something so simple you know like oh like the idea that not everything has to be so professional to have a vibe and make you excited you know it doesn't have to be recorded oh, yeah. in like this amazing recording studio with this amazing mic to have a feeling that inspires you and that makes you feel something. That's something I love about like spoon records. Oh my God. I love, I love yeah. those records. Every yeah. rec, every sound. Right. Like yeah. when kill the moonlight came out, which I think was 2003. And that first tune, it's like whirly bass vocals and tambourine, I think. And the oh. way that's um, arranged, you know, and when the tambourine comes in, you're like, that's all it needs. It's a huge energy lift. 
Yeah. You know, and every song, they've minimized it, but everything is so important. Yeah. And again, it's not always a pristine thing. Sometimes it's shitty on purpose. Yeah. Well, it's yeah. texture, right? Like when I think of Spoon, I think of texture. Like every song, every, every acoustic guitar, every layer just has, it just like a lot of attack, a lot of grain. I don't know. It's, 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 I'm trying to find the right word. I just, I don't know. Texture is the, the word that comes to mind. And that's kind of what I look for in terms of like when I'm recording myself and feeling good about a drum sound that I like, I want it to texture and attack are kind of my, my, that's what I'm going for first. Mm. Um, and then obviously tone and like low end and stuff, but I think that just the, that's, that's where the excitement is for me. It's just, if I can get like something like to snap, you know, feel good, feel immediate. Mm -hmm. um, kind of like that iPhone test I was saying. Um, mm. That's kind of like, that's, I would say that's kind of the sound that I feel the most comfortable trying to get. Mm. Um, and just like, that's like this, yeah, they're a great example of just like the sound, like it's just, there's always like, there's always enough things that aren't perfect in all those songs. You know, there's always, you could tell that they were like, oh, let's just leave that on at the end, you know, or uh, I just, I, that's my favorite thing is, is, you know, getting, getting the core of what is, is, is needed in terms of sounds and layers and then just personality, capturing personality, which is the hardest thing to do, right? You know, like doing, once you've done a take 10 times, it starts to, it's like saying the word hello you say hello 50 times by the 50th time really your brain will kind of be like what are you doing right? right so it's like it's really capturing how do you capture the energy of a song in three takes but also have all the parts right and i don't know it's yeah. uh that's the kind of that's that's where i i don't know that's the the endless the endless you know got the endless uh thing to obtain is how to do that but um Right. Have have you been in the studio with Mike Snow at all, or is that just a touring thing? That that's mostly been a touring thing. I was in a band with Andrew, their singer. Okay. Um, so we were in a band called Fires of Rome from I want to say 2007 to 2009, okay. and I I remember being in the studio with him and him playing me Animal from that record. Yeah. It's like, oh, I'm doing this new. He called it a, a side project. He's like, oh, I'm doing this new side project with these two producers. Okay. And, he, and I remember him playing me Animal. And meanwhile, like, we're in the studio, like, working on our record. <laughs> and I look at him, I'm like, you realize this is your, this is going to be your new right. all-the-time band. I mean, he's a producer, yeah, yeah. songwriter, so, like, he was always kind of doing a bunch of stuff oh, okay. at once. Yep. So, like, our band was, like, this kind of, like, indie glam thing, which is fun and but I just remember hearing that record and being like, this isn't a new side project. Like, this is going to be mm. okay. huge. Right. Um, and, yeah, we, we, we were supposed to do some recording for their, I don't know. I, I don't know if it's a newer record or something. It kind of, like, scheduling fell through. They, they record most of their stuff in, um, in Sweden, I think. Right. right. And um, I remember talking to Pontus about his setup, and it's, I think most of the drum recording they have on their record is usually just one mic. It's that kind of like hmm. 
Mark Ronson world of just, you know, like emulating that like 60s, 70s, one mic drum sound breakbeat thing. Yep. And um, yeah, those, I mean, all the guys in that band are monster producers, monster songwriters. They get great sounds, great ideas. Um, I mean, I could do a whole separate podcast on playing that gig because it was super intricate with playing loops like uh uh triggering loops for ableton and mm -hmm. it was it, it was a amazing experience just because i i was such a fan of all those songs so to play yeah. them live was really just awesome <laughs> pretty it was pretty involved pretty heavy like intricate yeah i mean the quick the quick thing is the quick version of it is is every section of a song is an endless loop that uh the drummer who i was subbing for <laughs> controls so what's great about that is if you want to have a intro stay on that part for a while you know you get to the bridge you want to bring it down and you know separate parts are going to other people who are controlling midi levels of stuff but wow the drummer is in control of changing the sections of the song on a spds wow. which goes to an ableton uh so best case scenario it sounds like i'm playing with tracks but worst case scenario, I miss a section or cue a section too early. And then, I, you know, on the fly, you have to reset that section and you're playing the drums. Sure. Yep. <laughs> um, so it was, it was the kind of thing which was a learning experience. And honestly, like the drums were kind of secondary to the choreography of learning sure. what part happens when. And, sure. But I did yeah, after like that also. Yeah. With Melissa Etheridge, oddly enough but she made one record where it was like pretty that heavy. And I was like, you know, she's not somebody that wants to stick to an arrangement totally. You know what I mean? Right. And I was like, how am I going to do this? And I had one pad that was like, it was the song. It was the loops in the sections in the definitive arrangement. Yes. And I was like, nah, I need to have like, yeah. You no, know, if we're going to go four more bars, this loop has got to go that she didn't want to be tied to that she was yeah. like if we're gonna do this i don't want to be tied yeah like, okay cool i'll figure it out and no it's a great it's a great concept um it was it's the kind of thing that i ideally would have set it up so i it's like oh i know you know learning somebody else's setup of that system on a pad right and learning a two-hour show it was yeah it was just it was <laughs> It was kind of a balls to the wall, like, all right, like, you're going to really, you know. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, after, like, two shows, I allowed myself to finally, like, bring a beer up on stage and have, like, two sips. But Only two shows? <laughs> That's pretty good, man. <laughs> yeah. Uh, maybe it's three or four. But, yeah, I mean, the, the, <laughs> the, the first few – and, honestly, then it was way easier because I was, like, oh, I can't drink before I play, like, you know. Right, not right. that I'm like chugging whiskey on well, I do sometimes, but I I've, I found that once I had that beer, it calmed me a lot. Mm -hmm. And because I was just, I was so freaked out to drink anything, that was actually making it worse. Mm -hmm. Or if I just had like a beer, I would it would have probably calmed me down a little bit, rain off a little in a good way. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> um, uh, tell me about your like electronic setup. So it sounds like you use spd into ableton if you want to record that way uh it depends I, I i was doing that when i was doing like easy drummer stuff okay um just so i could have something to play on 
um, I have a, a Behringer, I think it's called the RD8. It's their version of the 808, the like classic 808 that came okay. out about a year ago. Uh, I really love the Volca beats. Okay. You know, like the Korg Volca little guys? They make like a drum one, a synth one, a bass synth one. Okay. Hmm. Um, but they make this, they have one called the Volca Beats, and it, I mean, it's literally like this big. Okay. And um, it's just a really fun little drum machine. Okay. Uh, so, you know, I'll run through that. I'll run that through pedals. And then, you know, I make, I just, I'm, I make a lot of stuff just in Ableton, yeah. honestly. You know, I, I, I don't do a lot of, I don't do a ton of SPDS stuff into stuff unless I'm on a gig that needs it. Right. Okay. So you're yeah. not trying to play live into Ableton so much. You're you'll not too often. And honestly, like for most gigs that have a bunch of, and I've talked about this like on other podcasts, but like most gigs, if it is very track heavy, I, I say, Hey man, like leave those tracks in and let me just figure out what do we want to take out if we can, like mm -hmm. maybe let me play real kick and real snare. Mm -hmm. But I mean, I know there's a ton of guys on gigs now covering drums and programming with triggers and, and SPDSs. And at a certain point, I feel like as an audience member, it's, I don't know. I think the audience wants to know what you're, I think if the audience is watching you do something, they want to have an idea of what you're actually doing mm -hmm. and watching someone play a pad I don't know if that's is it, it it's not the same thing as watching someone hit this drum and that cymbal because when i'm hitting a pad i could who the hell knows what i'm doing up there right right so i don't know i tend to say hey if that part's going to be in there let's leave it in and maybe i'll double it on the hi-hat or with a rim yeah. or a percussion thing yeah i don't know I, I just think like as a live viewer that's more interesting and then sometimes people are like, no, like, fuck you, play this on the SPDS. And I say, you got it. Right. Um, well, there's, yeah, there's a certain element of probably the, the um, type of gig. So if it's an uber pop gig, big artist, you know, you're often repeating things verbatim, right? Yes. Sonically, yeah. arts, and then the, the element, the thing, element that's, it's there's a whole different vi vi uh, visual element for audience members costumes lights, oh yeah things like yeah. that but i think maybe what you're referring to is people who are there i don't want to i don't want to sound like a snob but they're more for the music and the vibes right of yes of the musicians and and that organic feeling of like okay i see what that guy's doing right there's that element is connecting differently than costumes and things and right. i'm not taking away from that stuff i'm just no 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 yeah yeah because sometimes you're sometimes your job as a drummer is it's a little bit more of an employee right and then sometimes your job as a drummer is you're an artist yes and they can be mutually exclusive or like they can be separate and they can also like connect mm -hmm. um but i kind of imagine if you're a drummer on I don't know who's the random pop star. I don't want to say anybody in like a drummer. <laughs> yeah, I know. Um, but you know, it's like yeah. 
if there was uh yeah, well I, yeah I mean, yeah i think what we're saying is right we're not taking away from musicianship of that drummer it's a great gig it's a great gig like yeah. adam marcello plays with katie perry i see i was gonna say katie perry then i was like yeah. well i know adam adam's yeah. we adam's fantastic drummer oh yeah and he and, does and, that job well and i've i've talked with him a little bit about like hey are, yeah. like um he had put something up like i don't know not that long ago on instagram and he was kind of explaining something and programming things and things i was and i, I hit him up was like hey are you intricately involved in in that part of it? And he's like oh yeah yeah i didn't really know and man that is a whole side of yep um well, both being an employee and, I mean, I think in his case, you could say artistic totally. part because he's so integral to knowing that stuff totally. and, and, and helping that show run smoothly yeah. that you could say that's part of his style. Oh, yeah. You know? Yeah, I think the part I was trying to make is if, say, I, was, say I got the Katy Perry gig mm -hmm. um, and it was a case where there's a musical director and they're telling you, oh, yeah, this part you play on the SPDS. Like, it's a, it's a show that's already built. Right. And they're like, oh, this part's on the SPDS, and that's just how we do it. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, great. I, that's what I will do for you. Mm -hmm. Where if, if Katy Perry's team came to me and said, hey, we're building up a show for her new record, how would you want to approach this? Right. Like, how do we, make, how do we cover these bases? Then, it's, then it would be a little, okay, like, well, how much leeway do I have? Can I... You know, it's it's. I I don't know. I yeah. don't know if I got off. I don't. I don't even know what we're where we're started with this. No, one, but, uh, I I mean, I think you know my approach to a lot of gigs has always been, and I haven't been heavily in like electronic gigs so much, but coming from records where like I want to try to in a live setting recreate, um, maybe not kick and snare sounds exactly. But I want to get, I want to help change a, a sonic zone for the listener, whether they yeah. know, whether they're aware of it or not, but it, something happens where, okay, something as simple as having, you know, snare changes, low snare, high snare, yep. side snare that I can put different elements on. Yep. Like simple things like that are so huge to me, um, you know, expressing myself, but also trying to feel like I'm representing a song oh, totally. in a live setting. And it's become way more sophisticated because of SPD and yes. things like that. But that's always, it was always a goal with me, even in the early 2000s when I was, you know, when I was playing with Lannis and we were just running an MPC and that had yeah. a loop. But I, it was like, at a minimum, I'm going to have a side snare. So when yeah. I'm playing a loop part, it's yeah. not the main snare. I mean, yeah. And it's just gotten, you know, a, times 100 since then. Yeah, it's I. I'm definitely more in the camp of I want to try to find a way to um, accommodate the song within my means. Mm -hmm. So it's like, okay, maybe I have a second i hat or a stack or something I can hit as a that kind of has a clap thing. But maybe we leave the claps in the sample. You know, maybe we leave the clap in the track too. Um, yeah, I know it's it's. Uh, do you do you find yeah. it more? Do you find your brain overworking maybe because of studio yes. being so deep in the studio thing? You're like, how am I going to do this live? Yep. Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, a perfect example is a, is a project I can't talk about yet, but there's a new album done. We're gonna we're gonna work on the live show, okay. and it's it's there's a lot of programming. There's a lot of real drums, and uh, they sent me the record and they say, "Cool, like do your thing." Mm-hmm. And we'll, and we'll, and we'll talk, you know, we'll start working it out. Wow. And, um, which is exciting. And then, you know, I, I get the record and it sounds amazing and there's a lot of electronic stuff, but we're going to start with me trying to do a lot of it on a kit. Cool. Just, yeah. just for a live thing. But, you know, I also want to honor the sounds that they put a lot of time into Mm-hmm. And and I, as I'm talking about this, I haven't even <laughs> even begun to do it because it's very it's it's overwhelming, and I and I have some time to do it. But um, right, right. The the I think because I also make a lot of electronic music, I I want to. It's a combination of okay, I need to learn these parts. I want to get sounds that kind of work. I can put some stuff on pads, but kind of like I was saying, what's going to be more interesting mm-hmm. if I'm triggering the sound that has kind of a snare and a white noise thing, or maybe if I actually have a snare, but I have like a cutout symbol on it and I can kind of do that. Mm-hmm. And it's covering a similar sound, but is a little more artistically satisfying to do. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. I heard about that project you have with Johnny Cash and the electronic <laughs> record, and it's going to be awesome. Yeah, that's uh, he's back. Who yeah, knew? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's why you can't talk about it yet. So, yeah, uh, <laughs> I, I saw. I think it was you. I, I'm pretty sure I saw you post. Uh, just speaking of um, going back for a second, you were talking about distortions. Mm-hmm. I think I saw you post a video using something called Dirt. Yeah, it's a Native Instruments plugin, and I saw that Brian Schubel commented on it, and I just wanted to say I met Brian. Brian worked on a record I did in two thousand five with my band, The Exit. We did we did oh. like one week out in L.A. and then stuff kind of fell apart with the producer that we were using, and we ended up coming back to New York. But I remember I was such a fan of his because I was so into the Fiona Apple stuff. Mm-hmm. And I haven't talked to him since, but I just wanted to at one point mention to you that I saw that and I don't know how well you know, Brian, but I was just really excited to see, I just hadn't thought of him in a minute. Yeah. And um, I was excited to, I'm going to reach out to him, Yeah. Which I, but I haven't yet, but I don't know if he will remember me, but I was just really excited to see his name and just, you had mentioned we would talk about at some point, like engineers that we're inspired by and, um i don't know why i just thought that up but uh yeah yeah, i haven't worked with brian that much a handful of times over a bunch of years um and i'm assuming brian's like this with everybody but i you know there's a certain connection that you're like this guy's rad he's a super cool dude yeah um easy to work with uh just you know like the like in drumland it's like fun and we we message here and there, not yeah. often. Um, yeah, I just have always had great vibes from Brian and when I work with him, you know. 
Yeah, he did something where I think he put like a bullet mic kind of on the floor under the snare and it picked up a lot of like the batter side of the kick and the snare and mm-hmm. I think we ran it through like I think he ran it through like a distortion pedal and I remember it was just one of the, it was it was one of those things that stuck with me for years it's like oh man like just the idea that you could just do weird stuff that isn't yeah I don't know what you see pictures of <laughs> you know like right. you're, uh, I don't know I know that's a yeah, side like, like those ideas that in, get ingrained of like um, you would never have that idea as an acoustic drummer. And then you right. somebody do that and you're like, whoa, that is so cool. How, how do I do that? How do I, how do I make that part of what I do? Right. The, I always had guitar player envy, you know, like I've, you know, I've been fortunate to play with so many great guitar players who are creating like, you know, sonic effects. And I was always like, I want to, I want to be able to do that. Like on the fly. Yep. Like whether it's delay, whether it's distortion, whatever, like simple things. It's like, I want to be able to manipulate me like that. Yeah. <laughs> hey man, check out that pedal or uh, that EAD 10 mic, man. You might, you might, uh, it might open some doors for you. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I usually go through, I mean, I kind of landed on contact mics a lot through my yeah. pedals. Um, yeah. Because they are more isolated, um, you can pinpoint them more to like I'm just going to put this on the snare head or on the snare yeah. shell or on the hi hat. Yeah. Um, and then sometimes running two of them. Yep. You know, um, it's kind of endless. You know, and and like uh, I talked to I don't know if you know Justin Glasgow, but I talked to him yesterday, and he has a pretty great setup going in his studio, and I was uh-huh. like, oh, that's inspiring, like. Like it, it inspired me to d- want to dial some certain things in here that are make it a little more accessible um, on the fly, you know. And I also think that, especially the pandemic thing, it's like some things I have, like okay, pedal board, I kind of have that half in between ready to go out the door, yeah, using in the studio. And I'm like, I, uh, okay, I haven't processed yet that I'm not going anywhere for a while, yes. I should just right. have that here ready to go yeah part of the rig you know yeah Yeah, i mean i my my dream because i can't really do it still is to have some place where i can have my drums set up all the time and just have all the toys set up because every time i come here i have to set up from scratch and even my practice space i share with other people so i set up and tear down um so yeah to have to creativity though in a certain way you have to one, you have to be able to know to get dialed in fairly quickly, right? You're going to yeah. have a limited amount of time. Yeah. Um, also, the gear, like you said, you, it's a lot of it shared. It is what it is unless you're bringing in all your own shit. Yeah. Um, but to be able to get to that place, you know, relatively quickly, I think is super cool. And then work on those limitations and still be you. Yeah. I mean, that's a pretty cool approach and skill i mean honestly it's probably why i changed my setup so much is because i'm starting from scratch almost every time so it's like well it's all in this corner so Mm -hmm. um might as well just i don't know my brain kind of you know in the studio i know what i need to just get the job done for a pretty just across the board recording and it's usually just it's like the it's basically the ringo kit you know it's like 
ride and crash and a couple times. Um, you know, if somebody wants something a little like bigger and like really next level, I, I just, there's a couple of studios I'll just go to and have a buddy engineer and help me set up. If we're, if, if it's something that needs more than 10 mics, I, I don't want to do it. I don't want to do it myself. Um, okay. And I, and I'm happy and, and I would rather take some money out of my end and go somewhere mm. with a buddy who I work with or, you know, or trade a favor of playing on a friend's recording if they'll record me at a bigger room that has, I could set up like three room mics and have some distance. Right. Um, but 10 is kind of your max. You're like, okay, I'm, if I can't get it with this on my own. I mean, honestly, I'm usually using six to eight for most of the stuff I'm doing. Cool. Um, you know, I, I usually have one kick mic top, you know, I top bottom snare, but um I don't do hi-hat mic unless someone really wants it just because the sound I get in the setting, I, I know you're going to hear plenty of hi-hat, you know? Um, but yeah, I mean, if someone wants it, I can make it happen. Um, right. And I also just assume if people want an, another level of that kind of um, options, they'll probably go to somebody else. But uh mm. That could also change. I, I, that might be, that's probably the next step for me is, is deciding, do I want to expand that on my end? Right. Is there a need for that? Or am I kind of fitting a niche of someone who, who's looking for a character that my drumming brings more so than having 10 to 12 mic options? Yeah. To definitely two, both, right. Two, two different approaches, both valid. Um, yeah. I mean, for me, it's interesting because I, I feel like I'm always morphing towards style. I mean, I think part of what I do is actually changing sounds and vibes and styles in a certain way. And that's almost part of my style. Yeah. You know, in a I would, I would say that about the stuff I've seen of you. I mean, it's always changing. You're, you're, it's a, it's like a different kit pretty much every post and yeah. different sounds. And yeah. Uh, I think, Go ahead. No, no, it's just, it's, uh, it's fine. It's kind of like realizing what are your strong, like what, what is your calling card? Why, why are people reaching out to you? And kind of, um, I think I could spend, you know, 20 grand and, and find myself and get a bunch more gear and have those options. But mm -hmm. is that why people are knocking on my door or my email, you know, um, I think it's great that I, I think that's actually like the perfect kind of wrap up for this is because a lot of what I'm trying to like um, talk to, you know, drummers who record themselves, it's like, especially now, it's not about having, you know, a whole bunch of 87s in an incredible room yeah. and all the, you know, a knee board and 1176 is like, like, is that stuff awesome? Yes. But do you yes. spend 20 to 50 grand to have that to, to do this? No. And, I, you know, you're like a great example of somebody that's creating a unique thing to you that's working for a lot of artists. And you're, right. you're doing it. And, and, and on, on a fairly minimal, um, uh, uh, I don't want to say, you know, minimal mics. 
and and just getting it done. Minimal drums, minimal mics, making vibes. I mean, also and also like because of what's happened in the last four months, now you have an in the the marketplace like everyone everyone's doing it now right right various levels of like you have guys in the last couple you have guys in the last couple months that have never recorded themselves saying getting a rig and and offering their services Mm -hmm. which is also you know now it's there's just more people doing it right which is good and bad um so it's kind of i think what's gonna set set anybody apart is having a sound that people want on their recordings right and we live in a world where with the use of plugins and i I couldn't do this five years ago you know i couldn't do what i do five years ago Mm -hmm. um you could have because you had you, you i'm assuming because of the studio space you had built out but um you know, just the way technology keeps catching up. Um, anybody, yeah. anybody can do this, which, um, and yeah, it's like, it's, I think it's really character is what's going to set people apart from each other. Right. Which is, you know, in my opinion, it's what it should be. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I think um, the homogenous thing about music these days, it's missing you know, I mean, drummers have personalities, bass players have personalities, like, yeah. that's what makes bands cool. You know, bands are not really the thing right now, but that's what makes bands cool. Not the, not the guys that are necessarily incredible stellar musicians. It's the two or three or four or five or six guys, not guys, people together that are creating something that has the styles of their personalities yeah 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 for sure yeah yeah man right on we could yeah. go on and on I know, uh, I know. I'm, I'm ending every conversation like this we could go on and on like yeah. um because i still have a lot more questions but i think it's probably a good spot to you know for sure probably a, it's a lot of information yeah man yeah um so thank you and uh 